my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion, and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. G'day friends, it's uh, Pastor Will here from Paravista and Gawler Adventist Churches in South Australia. Here we're coming live from our Faith FM studio here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. We want to welcome you to our live show today. So wherever you're tuning in from, whether you're in the car, at home, or wherever you may be at this present hour, we want to especially say thank you for tuning in uh, to our show today. Uh, Pastor Brennan is our co-host today. So Pastor Brennan, uh, good to have you in the studio once again, mate. It's very good to be here. Looking forward to our study today, uh, yeah. Will. It'll Excellent. be great. Excellent. So, um, just want to yeah say thank you for tuning in today. Um, as it is on a Monday, we get to introduce the theme each and every week, and the rest of our drive time team will be uh, taking various aspects of the theme and really kind of having a bit of a deep dive into our topic. So today, we're beginning, Brendan, a brand new uh, theme for yeah. today and beginning of the week, uh, the church, the family, and morality in a post-biblical world. And uh, so that's the general overarching theme of our our topic for the whole week for the Drive Time team and ourselves. And uh, yeah, so we're going to be looking at uh, some very interesting topics um, uh, through the week. week. Yes. Yeah, so um, we're actually going to be looking at the actual question, the Bible and gender. What does the Bible have to say? On this important topic, so um, Brenton, I'm glad you're on the other side of the. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you are. <laughs> I'm the one in the hot seat. <laughs> you're in the hot seat, and so um, uh, yeah, we, we. I guess what we're trying to do, uh, beginning our topic today and the rest of this week, we really want to have a deep dive into this this biblical view of who we are as a people. Um, as a individual person, yes. uh, as regards to family, and also as regards to morality. And so, yeah, we really want to take a deep dive into uh, this topic. So we're going to be talking about the Bible and gender. A couple of other uh, questions that our team will be answering this week, the Bible and marriage, what does the Bible say? The Bible and morality, what does the Bible say? How did Christ view illicit morality? Uh, very interesting uh, topic there in the middle of Absolutely. the week. And then towards the, towards the end, Nick and Tracy will be looking at how do we give our children a moral compass. And so that just gives you a bit of an idea of where our, our presentations are headed for this week. So we're really looking forward to unpacking that uh, with you all this evening. But tonight, as we said earlier, we will be looking at the question of gender. What does the Bible Say and so we'll be looking at the Bible in just a few moments. Um, Brennan, just a couple of things before we um, get into our topic. We promote our book offer. We do that a couple of times in our show, and we have a wonderful new book that we're going to promote in just a few moments. Um, but just real quick, Brennan, uh, for those listeners who may be aware, um, we had a very interesting weekend here Ooh, in Adelaide. Yeah. yeah, we had the um, what we call it the free community dinner. That was hosted by Faith FM. And so we had dinner with Robbie and the drive time team. And you were there, Brendan. I was I there. Was there yeah, well, what do you think there. of the night? I think I thought it was absolutely fantastic the night. We probably had 140 yeah. people there. Yeah, that was the number. Yeah. Uh, 
and Robbie spoke very, very well. He as, did, as didn't Robbie he? He does. And, Fascinating. Um, maybe I should say this on air, but he really complimented the drive time team. He I, did. I thought the way he presented what we were doing, the work that we were doing for the Lord um, on air across Australia was very positive. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to Robbie who flew in um, from Melbourne just just to be with our yep. our um, our team here. And so if you were there, and this was really uh, for our folks here in the beautiful city here in Adelaide. And so we had a, a hall filled there at Dover at Prospect over the weekend on Saturday night. Good had food. Had a beautiful too. food. Yeah, I was food, just about food. to say we had a lovely, <laughs> good food, uh, yeah. beautiful food, three course meal, and uh, we had some yeah great presentation by Robbie. He spoke on digital currencies, prophecies, and cashless societies. You know what? Brendan, you know, I was at, I actually learned something new that night, so and I. Um, I had no idea when we when we to say cashless society. You know, I was like what Robbie was saying on the weekend. Mm. You know, we think mm. it's just the money that's in our yes. in our electronic Wallets banking, yeah. but th- he had a whole different. You know, take on it, take on it, mm. and not only just his take, but he was showing, uh, you know, real credible data, you know, news articles, you know, yeah. all the major news outlets. He really had people listening yeah. to it. Um, everyone was engaged. I looked around the room as he was presenting, and I thought, everyone's engaged. There's no one sort of gazing yep. at their mobile phone, yeah, uh, you know, texting somebody or uh, doing a selfie or anything like That's that. That's right. They were all engaged. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we want to just say, hey, if you were actually there on the Saturday night, we want to especially say thank you once again for, mm. for coming along on, on the weekend. We must have another one. We'll have to talk yeah. to Gary about this. Yeah. Because so, these, are, these are a good opportunity to interact yeah. with those who are listening to us. I think Gary said that it was, a, it was the first one we were hosting that we hosted here in Adelaide, I think he said. Or something uh, of that nature. Yes, that's partly true. Okay. A few years ago when I was the minister down at Melrose Park, we ran two of these called Meet the Presenter. Okay. And uh, we had a number of people from the community oh, okay. come Fine. and join us. We ran two of them. Um, the other group that I'm associated with, the Bible study group, that our listeners, some of them would hear on Saturday morning, right. Sunday morning, Monday at lunchtime and Tuesday evening. Uh, we did that specifically. That was called Meet the Presenters. Oh, okay. That's that's probably about five or six years ago. So it's a uh, number of years ago. And right. uh, it was quite successful. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So, but this was on a whole different yeah. scale from what we did. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we provided them with some food, but it was mostly refreshments, not a full-blown meal like you had on Saturday yeah. night. The food was... I yeah, the food was Saturday fantastic. Night. Oh, yes. <laughs> so we want to... Um, yeah, we just want to say, um, yeah, that was what we experienced here on Saturday night. And um, just so real quick, we just wanted to um, promote... We actually have two follow-up seminars that are masterclasses, as um, Robbie uh, yes. coined the term, which I, I quite like. Um, and so we're having a uh, Prophecies of Hope that is beginning... If you're in the Adelaide area, if you know of someone in the Adelaide region, um, let them know that um, starting this Friday night, uh, September 22, we're actually having two different locations for um, uh, these public presentation. So our good friend, Pastor Ricardo, who is part of our Drive Time team, he'll be uh, presenting the Prophecies of Hope over there at Prospect uh, beginning this uh, Friday night, September 22nd. Um, 
And uh, myself, yours truly, uh, I will be speaking um, in the Gawler area. So if you are in the uh, Gawler region, I will be hosting the Secrets of Prophecy Masterclass Seminar uh, beginning this Friday as well, Friday night, September 22nd, over at um, in Gawler, 22 22nd Street uh, in Gawler. And so I'll be presenting there. And there are a couple of the first night we'll be talking about the Secrets of Prophecy. Uh, Saturday night, 7 p.m., uh, I have a presentation, Who Will Control the World? In night three on Sunday, September 24, Signs of the Times. And so um, the, all these programs, well, the programs I'll be running at Secrets of Prophecy is 7 p.m. Um, each Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. So Friday, this Friday, 7 p.m., Saturday night, 7 p.m., Sunday night, 7 p.m. So, hey, um, yeah, we'd love to have you there. If you are in the Gawler area or, or you'd like to come and visit, hey, Loved, I'd be looking forward to seeing you guys there as well. And if you're in the Prospect area, feel free to attend Pastor Ricardo's there, yes. Prophecies yep. of Hope. Um, so lots happening here in, in the Faith FM land and just want to also shout out uh, Pastor Gary Hodgkin and Nick Creda who are, are really carry the load here for our Faith FM team. They do all the behind the behind Green the scenes stuff. stuff and yeah. um, it was great, uh, Brennan, to catch all the different uh, team there, yourself, oh, well, myself. Yep. We had saw Ricardo, Marty, uh, Fabiano, yeah. David, you we know, all there. and Eric was there as well. So, yep, we Pastor Hugh, there. yeah, well, it was great. So, um, <laughs> so again, we wanted, and I hope it's on our last one. I love the way that uh, Gary described uh, Hugh, the man with the golden tonsils. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he does. He's got that real. He's got the gift. Of he the does. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Good one. Well. Yep. Let's just uh, shift gears, uh, Brendan. I want to just for our World Watch segment, and I'm just uh, just spend just a few minutes on this one. I thought we would share. I want to share this article from yes. CrossExamine.org. It's a Christian-based ministry, fascinating. Um, in one. the delving in the area of a Christian apologetics, which yeah. is essentially um, giving a defense or a reason or a uh, for the Christian faith. And so this is off their um, um, their blog. So if you go yes. to CrossExamine.org, I want to read it. Very interesting title um, article that really grabbed my attention, uh, Brendan. And the yes. title is called Satan at the Grammys. <laughs> I found it was a great Satan title. at the Grammys. Now, look, there's quite a bit here. I'm not going to read everything, maybe just a couple of paragraphs, but there was one thing that kind of stuck out for me here. So the author is uh, J.R. Klein, Josh Klein, and he says, quote, the Grammys have long been a cultural symbol and by the way, before we start, get this going, Brendan, why am I sharing this? We share at the top of the show, we look for religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. Yes. This is one that's, I thought, yeah. hey, there's a big connection with this article and what's happening in the book of Revelation. So here we go. The Grammys have long been a cultural symbol of transgression. The goal of the Grammys used to be to celebrate the best music artists in the world. It was an awards night, or at least it used to be. They have always been edgy and culturally progressive. Yes. Uh, for instance, in 1973, Helen Reddy thanked God for her award, but referred to God as she. As, as she while doing so. The secular entertainment industry lends itself to this sort of sub, subvers, sub, subversive rhetoric. Um, and then it says here, actually... The, the one I really want to get to, he basically is making a case that, hey, the Grammys used to be, you know, more of a wholesome thing, celebrating artists, but now, um, Josh is, um, 
basically saying it's becoming very more focused on, you know, on, on this kind of fascination with, with this occultish type of symbolism. Like, like, let me read a couple of things here. Um, Some so, of the songs that you are probably about to refer to are very much in the genre of darkness and yeah. darkness and light and all this type of stuff. It, uh, it, it brings almost a mystical quality to the type of uh, music that some of these people present. Yeah. So I just kind of went down a few paragraphs. So he's quoting an artist by the name of Sam Smith, and he says, Sam Smith's performance, I'm assuming he performed at a Grammy recently, his performance accomplished all three in a single song. He declares darkness light, he mocks God's created order, and then and he destroys holiness with a full-on plunge into radical self-autonomy and pleasure. The song he performs is literally entitled Unholy, and it glorifies it's very infidelity mm. and promiscuity. Yes. Once, this is Josh continuing the article, once we recognize that Satanism, according to its forefathers, um, Aleister Crowley and Anton Lav- Lavi, is not merely the worship of Satan, but first and foremost, the worship of self, we can begin to understand the influence it has had on the entertainment industry. Um, so he's kind of saying, look, Satan worship is not just worshiping Satan, but it's a worship of self. Yeah, now, basically. we'll get to a couple of biblical connections. I know you, you want sure. to comment as well, but no, no, no. let me skip down here because I found it interesting in this article, Brendan, that he kind of named a, a couple of performances that have happened in the last number of years in yeah. the Grammys. Now, here we go. And I'll just read this bit and then we'll, we'll connect it to sure. how we seek some connections to the Bible. Um, it says, um, in 2012, now he's naming a couple of artists and what they've done over the years in, in the Grammys. In 2012, Nicki Minaj performed a mock exorcism on stage. Uh, the Washington Post was shocked, but the Post lauded Smith and Petra's performance of Unholy only a decade later as one of the top four, four, top four performances of the night. Skip to 2014, Katy Perry performed an enigmatic and dark song called Dark Horse. In the song, she emerged from a crystal ball with shadowy figures, summoning her to a black altar when a red cross appeared on her chest. She danced with a broom and ended the performance being burnt at the stake. Seemed a bit on the nose at the time, but 2023 takes the cake in that regard. This same year, the Grammys held a mass, quote, uh, wedding ceremony, uh, for a t- particular uh, same-sex couple as well, yes, explicitly mocking a church service in the process. Now, yeah. a couple more here, and then I'll get your comment, um, what your thoughts are, Brendan. 2015, Madonna, who also introduced Smith in 2023, performed a song called Living for Love with background dancers clad in demonic garb. 2017, a pregnant Beyonce performed what looked like an ode to her goddess self giving birth to a child. And then in 2019... A metal band called Ghost won a Grammy. The band is known for its satanic imagery. Its lead man often dons clothing associated with the occult and riddled with references to Satan, darkness, upside-down crosses, and demonic imagery. Leading man Tobias Forge says, um, and he's quoted as saying something um, uh, about this. Uh, Actually, I'll just quote it, and then we'll... 
yeah, a couple of closing comments. So the, he says this, um, the leading man Tobias, this quote is saying, I think it's sad that people are wasting their time thinking that we're bad for people when actually what we're trying to do is make people happy and make people feel good about themselves when they come to our show and have a good time. So enough of the article. You get the gist of what this article is saying. Various performers, Brenton, on the world stage, seemingly enamored with darkness, this there's a fascination, with yeah. it, but then you tie that to the number of films that are coming out of Hollywood regarding yeah. uh, life after death, um, rebirthing, yeah. all this type of stuff. I remember years ago ringing uh, the head of Wallace Cinemas here in South Australia because okay. I was putting a sermon together, and uh, I asked him, and um, I'm talking 20 years ago, I asked him how many films are coming out of Hollywood these days who deal with subjects such as life after death, um, rebirthing, um, all that type of stuff. He said Hollywood is saturated with the stuff, Brenton. Yeah. Now, that's I'm talking probably about the year 2000 or just after that. Now, has it decreased since then? I would suggest, if anything, it's increased. So <laughs> all of these things coming together – the Grammys, the films, everything. Hollywood's fascination with the occult, the fascination with the supernatural. Yeah. All of these things, I think, come together to snow people, to confuse them. Yeah. Because if you go away from the Bible and what the Bible teaches, <coughs> what it says to be aware of and what it teaches to follow, like, your word is a lamp under my feet and your light unto my path. If you go away from those things, you are literally walking in a minefield as far as spiritual things go. Hollywood is, yeah. is more and more leaning towards the mystical, uh, the transcendent, all <laughs> – I don't know how else I can describe it other than to say that um, it's not in any shape or form – Christian, yeah. as we understand the word Christian. So therefore, as Christians, and those of us who are listening, as Christians or potential Christians, yeah. if we stray from the word of God, we are really helpless because what's happening here is um, in his article, you remember, and I talked about off prayer, uh, off air, <coughs> we talked about off air, the subject of he states that Satan doesn't want worship. Yeah. What he wants is to deflect our worship from God. And yet Isaiah and Jeremiah and uh, Ezekiel, as you know, and we've talked about this on air, these two um, portions of Scripture tell us very clearly yeah. that in heaven, Satan wanted to be like God. That's right. So to make a statement that Satan isn't after worship, he just wants to deflect you from worshipping God I, I understand where his thrust is coming from, but I can't agree with it totally. Yeah. Because I believe Satan does want worship. Sure. If he wanted worship in heaven, why in the name of fortune, now that he's come down to this earth, and the Bible tells us that he's come down like a roaring lion, yeah. seeking whom he may devour, why would he not want worship down here? That's right. So all of these things, the Grammys, the films, all this stuff together – unbeknownst to the majority of the people who live on this planet are bringing us to glorify self. Yeah. And in glorifying self, we're actually glor glorifying 
the original one. Yeah. I will be like God. I Correct. will sit on this. I will do that. Yeah. Five times in Isaiah yeah. 14, 12 yeah. to 14, yeah. we find the word I. I, yeah. I, Same I, thing. I, I, <laughs> so, I, yeah. I. I like the, and I, I think just as we wrap this article up, I think two things jumped out as me, Brenton, yeah, is right. as the article he says, you know, um, understanding Satan worship, it's first and foremost the worship of self. Yes. And I, I yes, thought about is. that text in, you know, that the famous story in Genesis chapter eleven when they they built the Tower of Babel, and so what was that? It really, it was a monument to self. They they said, "Let us make a tower name for ourselves. Yeah, so, Let us make a name for ourselves." Yeah. So there's that aspect, mm. and then very similar to what uh, Robbie Bergen was saying over the weekend, talking night. about this global economic uh, control, and he was basing it off. Um, uh, the text in Revelation, and I was just intrigued. Um, I just typed in uh, the Revelation word worship, yeah. um, and 20 times um, the word worship comes up in the book of Revelation. And, um, you know, it says here in Revelation thirteen four, they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast. And um, and then in Revelation thirteen eight, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. So I guess the connection I see here, uh, Brenton, with this article is that, yeah, just as we see this culture so enamored with, you know, music artists, uh, the whole cultural scene, the landscape is all about self. And, uh, you know, these music artists, it's all about them. And, you know, it's it's very much... Babylon 2.0, which is mm. exactly what Babylon represented in the Old yeah. Testament. It's happening, um, yeah. definitely happening in our culture Was today. Was it 20 times you mentioned that the word worship over, occurs yeah, in Scripture? Over 20. Um, uh, in I Revelation. Wonder, I wonder, yeah, in Revelation yeah. rather. No, certainly more than that yep. in Scripture. But I wonder whether it would be worth doing a study. I've never done it. I don't know whether you have or not. But uh, doing a study one time on how many times the word worship in the book of Revelation is presented positively yep. and how many times Times it's presented negatively because everything you've said so far in the last minute is negative. Yeah, they worship the beast, they worship his image, yeah. they worship this, they worship that. What's the end result of all of that? They're lost eternally. Yeah, that's the end result. Yeah. So we need to balance that against the positive aspects of worship as described in Revelation, worshiping the Creator, worshiping the true God. Yeah. It'd be interesting to do a study. Yeah. On, Actually, think. um. So, um. Hey, we're going to just have to. Move on from that article, but hey, that was just, uh, you know, Satan at the Grammys. And so, yeah, Satan if you're at looking Grammys, at the I Grammys like the and you're seeing some of this music that uh, a lot of folks are enamored with, some of these cultural artists that are in the world today, yeah, have, have a look at what they're doing, what they're singing about, and what's being presented. Because often there's a lot of mixed messaging that happens when these, you know, these artists that the world kind of flocks to there's sometimes there's hidden meanings in their in their uh, singing most of the time there is yeah so, Years ago, they used to have something called backmasking. Ever heard of backmasking? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, we're not going to go there today, <laughs> today's study, but it's rather an interesting study. Yeah. Let's have a look at that Okay. Hmm. Well, lovely conversation. We're going to have to uh, go to a break, but before we do that, we would like to promote our free book offer, and our book is uh, that we're going to be promoting for today and the rest of the week is called The Radical Teachings of Jesus, and this is uh, by the author, uh, Pastor Derek J. Morris. It's a and, very good book. I've yeah. got the book. Oh, so you got the book. I've got okay. the book. I'll, I actually I haven't read it myself. I thoroughly recommend it to our listeners 
around Australia to get this book. Okay. Derek well, there you have it. a very straightforward approach. He presents things in a very simple manner. You don't have to be a theologian with a, a PhD in Old Testament or New Testament studies to understand his books. He's every, he's, uh, he puts it in very, very simple language. Yeah. But it's very powerful. Yeah. It leaves you with the challenge. All right. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, if you would like a free copy of the book, The Radical Teachings of Jesus by mm. Zarek and Morris, Send you need to text it. the code here in the studio. The, the text is, uh, the code is SA136 and you need to text that here into the studio, uh, 04888808811. And uh, we'll get that book out to you as uh, soon as we can. So, again, if you like a free copy of the book, um, uh, The Radical Teaching of Jesus, you need to text SA136 to 04888808811, and we'll get that book out to you as soon as possible. Please don't go away. We'll go to a, a break, and we'll be back in just a few moments. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine Heir of salvation, purchase of God Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood This is my story, this is my song i 
was Anna Weatherup with Blessed Assurance. You're back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A. And yeah. just in the break, we had Joe that's texting for a book uh, for the book offer for Radical Teachings of Jesus by Derek Morris. So, hey, Joe, thank you for tuning in today. And we hope that you um, have a good time with us and we'll get that book out to you as soon as we can. So thank you once again. And please, for the rest of our listeners, uh, please we'll promote the book offer one more time uh, just in a few yeah, moments. Time. Absolutely. Yep. So, Brenton, sure. mm. let's start our topic today. Um, again, the theme for this week, if you've uh, just tuning in, the theme for the whole week is the church, the family. Family and morality in a post-biblical world. But Brendan and I, we're looking at the specific question today, the Bible and gender. What does the Bible actually say about this very important topic? So, Brendan, why don't you begin us walking us through how does the Bible describe gender and what does the Bible reveal to us about this very important Mm, topic? Absolutely. There are 58 references that I came across in my research regarding male and female. Now, what I want to do is establish as we go right back to the beginning when God created um, in six days. What we have got here is, and I'm reading from Genesis 1 verse 26. You know the uh, creation story, Will, and this is on the sixth day. Uh It says, God said, let us make man in our image. Now, I'm not going to go into Trinitarian arguments or anything like that. I think they're fairly self-explanatory here. According to our likeness, Let them have dominion over the sea, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every creeping thing. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, for the rest of Scripture, you find male and female exclusively mentioned in Scripture. You do not find alternatives. You don't find non-binaries. Anywhere in Scripture. We're not going, that's not our topic for today. Right. But male and female, why does Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, probably in the wilderness while he was tending the sheep, (coughs) why does he mention male and female? He created them. Because I believe that in order for God's image, and let's face it, the whole of the Bible is about after the fall of man, and woman, after that fall, the whole of the Bible is about restoring God's image in yeah. human beings. Correct. So what we've got here is is a fairly simple statement. Male and female, he created them. I believe it was necessary for both male and female to be created in God's image. Yes, we know Eve was taken from Adam's rib, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on that today, but that is true. Um it's necessary, I believe, not not only biologically, but sociologically and spiritually, I believe it's necessary to have both male and female to realise what God's image actually is. Yep. In other words, the characteristics that males bring to a relationship, the characteristics that females bring to a relationship, the combination of the both best represents the Godhead. We don't know exactly what the Godhead is like. One day in heaven we will be able to find out more, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. But this is the starting point. So if you're going to start about talk about uh, the Bible and gender, God created male and female. They're complementary. Now, 
You may have heard the term. Uh, in Christian theology today, there's some rather interesting things. One of them is called egalitarianism, and the other one's called complementarianism. Okay. Complementarianism and egalitarianism. Egalitarianism basically says, and for the benefit of our Listeners, I will try and make this as simple as possible because I've read so much stuff on it, it'd make your head spin. <laughs> uh, basically, egalitarianism in Christianity uh, by many modern Christian writers simply states that males and females are equal, which we believe. But it then goes on, you can extrapolate from there that the roles of males and females are almost interchangeable, so you can do whatever you like there. Now, some might be listening and saying that's an oversimplification. Read some of the material for yourself, but it's interesting. Um, Complementarianism, on, on the other hand, suggests that male and female were created to complement one another. Their yep. roles are different. Now, that does produce some conflict between uh, egalitarianism and complementarianism. But throughout Scripture, <clears throat> regardless of whether you're looking at it sociologically, whether you're looking at it culturally or whatever you're looking at, you find male and female. In Matthew chapter 19, long come the Pharisees and say, tell me. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? You know the story as well as I do. Yeah. What was Christ's answer? It was not so from the beginning, because in the beginning God created male and female. For this cause will a man leave his father and mother and be joined or cleaved to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Okay, <clears throat> so going on from those couple of verses, then you go to chapter 2. Now, in chapter 2... So, before you move on to chapter 2, Brendan, just a quick summary. So, you're answering the question by going to the Bible. Genesis 1 says, God made humankind in, in God's image, male and female. And so, there we see we see only two sexes the, there. Yeah, that's the consistency yep. right through okay. the Bible. But in chapter 2, right. um, as is typical of Hebrew thinking, uh, it's rather interesting. You find in chapter 2 that it says in verse 7, And God, the Lord God, formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living being. Okay, jumping across quickly, in verse 18 it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. Okay, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on that. At this point, for those of our listeners who want to study the Word of God for themselves, I'd invite them to go to chapter 2. What has Adam done so far on day 6? God has brought all the animals to him, all the birds to him, and yep. he's named them. Right. Now, what has he found? He has found that each of them has a companion. Yeah. Now, he's probably saying to himself, hey, <laughs> that cow over there. There's, There's a, a Mrs. Male cow. cow and yeah. a female. <laughs> Um, that animal over there, there's a male and a female. That bird up there, there's a male and a female. But what about me? I can't have a bird for a companion. I can't have a cow for a companion. I can't have a serpent for yeah. a companion. You, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. 
And uh, he's probably saying to himself, I'm naming all these animals. God is bringing them to me. I'm naming them. I'm naming them on the basis, and we don't know what he called them because we don't know what language was used. Yep. But on the basis of what's happening here, he's saying, wow, all of these animals, all of God's creation that's been brought to me to name seems to have a partner, but I don't. He doesn't. But in chapter uh, 2 and verse 18, it says God said it is not good that man should be alone. Now, when you look at chapter 1, after every day of creation, God said it was good. The end of the sixth day, he made a statement. He said it was very good. What was very good about it? I believe the crowning act of creation was the creation of male and female because that presented the image of God most clearly. Right. Animals do not represent God's image. Birds do not represent God's image. Fish do not represent God's image. Uh, things that crawl on the ground don't represent God's image. But man, but only man mankind, being male yeah. and female, do. So, <laughs> out of the ground it says the Lord God formed everything. Yeah, so we'll go on. And then the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. We know how Eve was created. Notice what Adam says. Um, I, I'll go back to 18 for just a minute. I will make him a helper, comparative to him. The Hebrew word for helper is Ezer, E-Z-E-R. Nigdal, spelt K-N-E-G-D-O-W. It means I will make him someone suitable for him. I will make him a helper. Um, Ezer is helper. When we tend to think of helper, if you said to me, Brenton, you're going to be my helper, I would be assuming, and many of our listeners would be assuming this, they would be thinking, oh, well, Will's got the dominant role and uh, Brenton's got the inferior role. Yeah. Wrong way of looking at it. When it uses the word helper in Scripture, it is not referring to the woman as being inferior. Helper in this sense is not a case of, well, I need someone yeah. to help me, but really uh, they're superfluous to requirements. I don't really need them. No, what God is saying that is, is that you are not whole without the woman. Right. And the woman is not whole without you. Okay. So this is establishing the whole of what Scripture is based on. In the New Testament, we find the woman described in uh, the book of Ephesians, which we've been studying in our Bible studies. As you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave yeah. himself. The metaphor used there is that we are Christ's bride and he is the bridegroom. Right. So <laughs> all of those metaphors are being tra translated through. <clears throat> and anyway, notice what he says. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The term for woman is uh, ishashah, I-S-H-S-H-A-H. -S -S uh -huh. the, the word for man is ish, I-S-H. These are the Hebrew terms that right. I'm using here. And so what's happening here is that I wished I'd been present that day. I don't know about you, but <laughs> when Adam wakes up from his deep sleep and sees this being standing in front of me, he goes, hey, just like me. Right. This is my complimentary. Yes. Not an animal, not a bird, not a fish, not a serpent. This is a complimentary. Wow. Yep. I recognize in this person standing in front of me, we could almost say 
another part of myself. Yeah. So man, man is now complete. And that's, of course, when you get the statement for this cause, will a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall be one, come one flesh. The purpose of creation of man and woman was to procreate the earth. Let's, let's be honest. So yeah. sex is a very important part of it. It wasn't the only, only important part of it, but it's a very important part of it. So unfortunately, in chapter three, <laughs> we find that they fall. And I want to read verse 16 because <laughs> this is an interesting one. After God had said to man, to Adam, uh, you're going, the ground is going to be cursed for your sake. And after he had said to the snake, because you have done this, you'll be cursed above all animals, he says to the woman, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain. You shall bring forth children. Now, up until that point, I believe that probably had um, we, we have no evidence before chapter four that Adam and Eve had children before Cain came along. There's no evidence of that. But the suggestion would be had they never fallen, women would not have the pain that they have in childbirth. Now, I know enough women, I have a wife, but I know enough women to know that some some women that I've met have been in labour for many, many hours before they've given birth. (laughs) And in the Bible, the worst kind of pain that is described is described as being similar to a woman giving birth. Yeah. So God's saying, because you sinned, you're going to greatly have trouble in childbirth. But the last bit is interesting. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The word, the Hebrew word is tesuka, T-E-S-U-Q-A. I may be mispronouncing it for any biblical scholars that are on. Look it up for yourself. <laughs> it's only mentioned three times in the Old Testament. It's mentioned here. It's mentioned in chapter four in relationship to um the anger that Cain felt towards Abel because his offering was accepted and Cain's wasn't, and it's also mentioned in the Song of Solomon. Now, what's interesting about this particular thing is the word desire, it's been translated, oh, how many how many uh, commentaries have I looked at on this particular subject, but <laughs> I believe the, the most accurate thing here is that your desire shall be for your husband, meaning you have a craving, a desire to be, some have interpreted it, your desire is to control him, to rule over him. I don't believe that that's necessarily an accurate description. Right. But sin changed the relationship. We still have male and female, and it says your husband shall rule over you. And that's a whole different topic. We're not going into that tonight by any means. But what we do know is this. We do know that men have abused whatever yeah. relationship came about after sin and that women have suffered a lot because of it. I believe the correct um, interpretation of this is that you still have a desire for marriage. You still have a desire for a relationship with a man. But often that person that you look up to that you want to be part of is abusive in the relationship. Does that describe modern relationships? Pretty yeah. well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you've you've got these these relationships going on, but throughout 
uh, the Bible consistently, you find male and female, male and female, male and female. Even Jesus referred the Pharisees Uh back in Matthew 19, as we said earlier on. He referred them back. It was not so from the beginning. He didn't go back and say, what's the current thinking? Yeah. Because that's how a lot of Christians. He brought them back to. A lot of Christian apologetics today is based on what's the current thinking. Yeah. He didn't say that. He said, go back to the beginning. What did God create? Yep. Male and female. He created them. For this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two will become one flesh. The one flesh concept, that's almost a program of its own. Yeah. But anyway, it let us suffice to say that simply that it's very clearly established in Scripture, the only um, genders mentioned in Scripture are male and female. Yeah. Amen to that. That is a reflection and note this, a reflection of God's image. Yeah. The only genders that reflect God's image. Yeah. Well, hey, loving um, how you're just piecing all together these different aspects of the book of Genesis and connecting it with within, you know, confines of marriage and Adam and Eve. And so, yeah, loving the conversation, uh, Brendan. We're going to have to go to a break. We are, um, but um, <laughs> we're going to just promote our book offer one more time uh, for our listeners out there today. So, hey, if you missed the first uh, time we promoted it, well, here's your chance. Uh, we're going to promote the book offer, The Radical Teachings of Jesus by Derek Morris. And um, in this book, um, what Derek will do, he'll show you the how the radical teachings of Jesus cuts across the gods of our culture and transforms our lives. And if you have a look at the book, it will give you a greater passion it will. for Christ and his word. So, hey, if Promise. you would like a free copy, what you need to do is text the code SA136 to our number in the studio, 04888 uh, One more time, the code is SA136. You need to text the code uh, that to code to our number, 04888. Eight zero eight double one, and uh, we'll get that book out to you as soon as we can. And by the way, we've had Patty just texting as well, oh. just a few moments ago. Thank you, Patty. We'll Thank get that you, book Patty. out to you as soon as we can. So please don't go away. We're going to some music. We'll be back in just a few moments.
Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A. We are in the closing few minutes of our program today. It's Brenton and Will in the studio coming live from South Australia. If you're just tuning in, our theme for the week, the church, the family and morality in a post-biblical world. And and uh, we've been looking at the question, the Bible and gender, what does the Bible say? And so, Brenton, you've been doing a wonderful job taking us through the book of Genesis and kind of connecting the dots for us. Um, so in the last few minutes we got, Brenton, I know you kind of... There's a text in the New Testament. You kind of want to bring this, um, bring this uh, together. Uh, we can do that. Um, most people would be aware of Galatians three twenty six to twenty eight. It's um, in fact when I uh, typed in on my computer uh, equality in Christ, immediately this one bobs up. However, I want to explain what it actually means in terms of male and female, because Paul says this. I'm going to read it. Um, will and try and just concentrate on verse 28 for you are all sons of god through faith in christ jesus does that mean females are sons of god no i think it's a generic term meaning everyone who's accepted christ is for as many of us as as you of you as were baptized into christ have put on christ now paul frequently uses in his epistles the term to put on christ like putting on a change of clothing and for the benefit of our listeners who may not know much about Old Test, um, New Testament times, if you were poor and they believe in Ephesians that 97% of the population was poor, 3% was rich, you probably only had one set of clothes. You wore the same set every day. Wow. Don't ask me how the washing uh, worked on that one. But <laughs> anyway, you leave that to your imagination. They only had one set of clothes. So <clears throat> he's telling them here, that when you became a Christian, you put on an entirely new set of clothes, not physical clothes, spiritual clothes. You went from paganism to light. You went from darkness to light. And then he says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptism is a symbol of the fact that you have changed, the fact that you have put on Christ. And then he goes on to this text that is quoted so frequently, it must be one of the most quoted texts in the New Testament, Will. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's been interpreted many different ways. Can I suggest this? You need to read the context of the text in order to understand what he's saying. So, <clears throat> why did Paul not tackle slavery head on? Um, there are a number of reasons, but one of the main reasons is there would have been a major revolution in the Roman world because much of the work that was carried out in the Roman world was carried out by slaves. Now, if he'd come out head on and said slavery needs to be abolished, boom. Instead of that, <coughs> what he's saying, and this is the point we need to come to in our study tonight, is that these differences can be resolved when you're in Christ Jesus. But does that mean that we are doing away with the distinction of male and female? I don't believe so. Right. Um, because if they are complementary, why would God abolish it? And why would Paul, in other epistles that he's written, such as the one that we've been studying um, over the last few weeks in the book of Ephesians, where he refers to a bridegroom, and a bride, he refers to us as being Christ's bride and him as being the bridegroom. Yeah. Husbands, love your wives, male, female. You come to the book of Revelation, the same terminology, right. the same principles are being enunciated here. But 
he's simply saying you're all one in Christ Jesus. Because you have accepted Christ, the barriers <coughs> between a slave and free, between a male and a female, because let's be honest, in Roman times and in the times that Paul wrote the book of Galatians and the book of Ephesians, a woman was a husband's personal property. His children were their personal property. He's abolishing those distinctions. He's not abolishing the distinction between male and female. He's abolishing the fact that one is at one level and the other is at the other level. Can you imagine sitting in church in Ephesus when this is being read out to you? You're a slave owner. You're my slave. You're sitting in front of me at my feet. I'm sitting behind you. I've got nice clothes on. Yeah. You've got poor clothes on. And you're being told that in Christ we're the same. Yeah. The reward is the same. <laughs> when you get to heaven, the reward for me as a slave owner and you as a slave is no different. It's one and the same. Right. So what's being said here in Galatians 3, I think, is simply that these distinctions that men have put in place, the subjugation of women is a man-made thing. Yeah. It's a man-made thing, and he's saying in Christ these distinctions or distortions have been abolished. He's not abolishing male and female and saying that they're all the same and you can do whatever you like. Males can do the same as females. Females can do the same as males. Some interpret it that way, but I believe you've got to interpret it in the context of what it said. Right. Is he saying that there's no longer slaves? He talks in Ephesians. He says to slave owners, look after your slaves because you have a master in heaven. <laughs> and so it goes. So our identity is in Christ. Yeah. That's the key message that we want to leave with our listeners for today. Our identity is in Christ. The distinctions that men place, whether it's cultural or whatever it happens to be, are abolished in Christ. Male and female have not been abolished in Christ. Otherwise, why continue to use that language yeah. in the rest of the New Testament? Um, and the term love, sacrifice, give yourself for, all of those things are used by Paul in Scripture, which I'm sure our um, um, presenters over the next few nights are yeah. probably going to touch on. But the bottom line is that in Christ, these distinctions that men have put in place are abolished. But the relationship between men and women has not been abolished. Male and female has not been abolished because it continues on during the rest of Scripture. And God still uses it to describe his relationship with his church. I think that tells you something about where it started out when it was perfect and where God wants it to be uh, when he comes again. He wants to take his bride to himself. Yeah, I love that. I reckon that's a good place to stop for today. <laughs> hey, we praise God. Hey, Brendan, I know that there was a, quite a lot to um, to address within this oh, broad topic too, of too much. of the Bible and gender, but I think you did a fantastic job. And uh, to our listeners, we want to thank you for tuning in all the way to the end of our program. Um, so we're going to go in just a minute. But, hey, I just want to um, let you know that this same time tomorrow we have our hosts, Gary, uh, sorry, it's Ma- Ricardo and Marty. Marty. They're yeah. going to be looking at the topic, um, the Bible and marriage. What does the Bible say? And I think um, Brendan alluded to a couple of some of those points there, but um, 
they're going to take a deeper dive into that. So please do not miss tomorrow as Ricardo and Marty um, have a look at this biblical idea of marriage. And so, hey, we're going to have to end our time today. So we appreciate you tuning in and uh, we look forward to you tuning in tomorrow, same time tomorrow. But until then, we always like to leave our show with the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Hey, may God bless you and we hope to see you next time.